Welcome to the Davidson Day Community Podcast. My name is Pete Moore, Head of School at Davidson Day. Each episode, you will meet different members of our supportive and diverse community. You'll hear fascinating stories from parents, board members, alumni, and the wonderful people who work at Davidson Day. In this episode of the Davidson Day Community Podcast, I'm joined by Erin Evanham. Erin is a race car driver, a TV commentator, and a host of Wing Nation on the Motor Racing Network. In 2003, Erin became the first woman to qualify for the famed Knoxville Nationals, and in 2004, she became the only female winner in the history of the World of Outlaws Sprint Car Series. In 2005, she moved to North Carolina and raced stock cars for several years. So Erin, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. So the first question I have is, what's the name of your hometown that you grew up in, and what are your some of your favorite memories from childhood? Well, I grew up in Wilbraham, Massachusetts, which is a small town out in, in Western Mass. People in Boston don't even really consider us part of the state. Okay. But I had a great childhood. I'm the youngest of five, two older brothers, two older sisters. So basically, my favorite childhood memories are with my family. I grew up around race cars and racetracks, but we also did family vacations and watched all my siblings play sports, but we were just a a pretty close family. So those are my best childhood memories. So I'm one of two, right? And it'd be funny if I was two of two, that'd be weird. But is (laughs) what... What's it like having that many siblings? It was all that I knew, yeah. but it was chaotic. So the, the long story is my father's first wife passed away of cancer at oh, 29. I'm sorry. So my mom married a man with a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a two-year-old, which wow. I always say, wow, you must have really loved him. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so then they had my brother and I, and the neat thing was I didn't really even know this until I was probably nine or 10. So we've always just been one family. My oldest sister is 11 years older than me. And then I have a brother who's 10 years older than me. So there's big age gaps where my mom always said that, you know, there was no like competition with me. They all kind of supported me. I was the the youngest by five years. I had built in babysitters. I just had this whole crowd of people that were, they were my buddies. It wasn't like having siblings close in age where you have some rivalries and whatnot. So I really am thankful and grateful that I had a a really good upbringing. There's a few words I, living in the US, I'm a bit scared saying one of them is Massachusetts. (laughs) What's it, I've never been there, right? People say you've got to to go to Boston and it's on the bucket list. But tell me about the town that you grew up in. Big, small? Pretty small town, kind of suburban maybe a little bit on the rural side, but it was just a a small town. Our high school was a merger of two towns. And I think I still only graduated with 230 kids. So yeah, and it was a really great town to grow up in. My mom still lives there. My brother is there. It just really was a nice environment. It wasn't super affluent. It was just kind of middle-class, hardworking people and small enough that it was just a a kind of a safe, quiet place. Please fact check any of the questions I asked because I've read some of this stuff online, but it's, I read that you started racing at the age of seven. You mentioned that your family was into motorsports. Like what sparked your interest? Well, my dad always loved cars. So before he got any of us kids into racing, he would go to the racetrack and and help people. And he had some old cars that he was, you know, project cars he was going to restore eventually. So he had my brothers racing go-karts quarter midgets, they're called. And I grew up at the racetrack. So I have two older brothers and two older sisters. And I did just about everything my older brothers did. I was the, the ultimate tomboy. I played ice hockey for years. So it was just kind of what the family did, and, and I wanted my chance because I grew up around it, and I had one sister that raced for a while, but my dad kind of called her a social racer. She would, like, let her friends pass her. Uh. She wasn't really <laughs> into it, so I knew when I started that I needed to be, like, on the gas, which you might hear as we go through this interview, but sometimes I was a little bit too much on the gas, a little too aggressive, but I think that started at a young age because I knew I had to, like, prove that I was there for business. Do you remember your first race? I don't have specific memories of my first race. I remember the first time I ever drove a go-kart or a quarter midget. It was my brother's car. It was the year before I was going to start. So I was like, I was my daughter's age, six years old. And they put me in and I just knew what they did. It was just, you put your foot to the floor and go and, they, my dad had tried to like set the carburetor so it wouldn't be like super fast. It would just be getting used to it, but he didn't set it right. So it was a little bit too fast, but I just thought it was what I was supposed to do. And <laughs> I like brushed the wall at one point, but I, the family still jokes about it. But I, I do have vivid memories of that. What was it like having older siblings that you were following in their footsteps? I think there was pros and cons to it. Like I said earlier, they were pretty much a, a decent bit older than me. So I think they really supported me. We were never racing in the same classes together. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot of support, but 
it was also intimidating. I have one brother closest in age to me who was really successful. And my dad would put a lot into that because he was doing really well. So there was times that you're a little overshadowed or you feel like you need to step up to be as good as him. But I mean, that's part of life, right? No matter what you're competing in or even in a child, in, in a household, there's things like that. So overall, I would say it was great because like I said, we weren't super close in age. So everyone was supportive of what I was doing. As an athlete competing at a varsity level in high school and college, what skills and mindset are applicable to racing and other competitive sports? I was fortunate enough to be able to kind of balance all that. I played varsity sports in high school and then I played lacrosse in college and actually only for two years because racing got pretty serious and I was trying to balance an engineering degree in, in sports and something had to give. But in sports in general, there's so much that you can learn that's applicable to motorsports or life or job whether it's the discipline, the work ethic, the sportsmanship, all those activities outside of school or whatnot and outside of your family just build your character and they build your confidence. So then you went to college and you studied engineering. Why that pathway? Uh, so kind of tricky, but my father passed away when I was 17. I'm just very math science minded. My SAT scores were very lopsided. So I kind of knew I needed to go that direction. And I obviously was into racing, but I was always fascinated by how things were built and asked a lot of questions about bridges and, you know, just not just very math science brain. So I just knew I wanted to go to engineering school and applied to a few and got into most of them. And uh, I don't know, just I just knew engineering. I didn't really know. Actually, there was part of me that wanted to be an architect because I really loved drawing and, and I have like a whole art background. But that was a five-year program and my parents told me they'd only pay for the first four, <laughs> four years. So I went engineering route. I didn't know which discipline I specifically wanted. I just knew that was where my mind kind of worked best. But as I got into to, to college and got through like the first core classes of engineering, I realized I started mechanical and I thought this is getting a little bit too too many equations, too many. So ended up doing industrial engineering, which ended up giving me a background in management, business management as well, kind of combines engineering and like process excellence as a whole. And that's basically the discipline of industrial engineering. But I really wanted the management courses because at around this time, I realized I really want to try to make it as a race car driver. And a big part of being a race car driver is marketing yourself and understanding business because it's not like other sports. This is a sport that you need funding. You need sponsorship. I'm a people person. I like to be around people. I like to be social. And I was getting some of that in the management classes. It sounds like your father was an incredibly pivotal person in your life. How did his passing sort of shape you at, at such a really a young age? I'm very thankful we had racing because we that was a family sport and we went like every weekend together. So I have all these wonderful memories of my dad and he owned his own construction business, general contracting. So he worked very hard, but he also really balanced work and family. Like we had dinner every single night at six o'clock. Like he, so, and I think that came from losing his first wife because before that he had said he put like everything into business and realized life can change in a heartbeat. And I think the same thing kind of happened to me. I, I think that I realized that life can be really short and that you need to go after what you want because there's only one chance. Yeah. I feel like it's made me live in the moment more in my life. My husband, Ray, is he's actually 23 years older than me. And people ask, like, how do you marry someone 23 years older than you? And I, I'm, I just always feel like life's not guaranteed. Like, if I, if I love this person, what does it matter? Because I could be the one who passes sooner. I think I just look at life more in the moment. I really do. I like to do the adventure. If someone invites us on a trip or someone wants to go hiking, like, I love to do things. And I really think that Losing him at a young age made me realize that life is really tender. Beautifully put, life is very tender. It seems like you were making a lot of really difficult decisions sort of around that sort of 17, 18, right? Like, so you're having to choose sort of what sports you're going to be doing. You're talking about marketing. You're talking about like all of these different things. And then you obviously have a, a big loss, a huge loss at that, that age. How did you help sort of navigate that with so many big decisions that were sort of happening at that time? I think the biggest thing was being the youngest of five. I had a big support system. My brothers and sisters were pretty much all out of the house and on their own already. So it was really my mom and I at home, but I knew I had that, that support system. And I also knew I had that accountability. I knew my brothers, they've always looked after me and my, my sisters that if I started to slack off or I used this as an excuse to kind of stop doing work, that they would, they'd be on me in a good way. So I just knew that they looked after me. And my mom is, to this day, she's like my best friend. I talk to her every morning. She's been my biggest fan throughout my career. 
and she doesn't even like racing, <laughs> which actually it, it turned out to be a good thing because she would just come to the race and just be there for me and not have opinions and, and, and be a pageant mom. But I think that was the biggest thing was having family and, and a good uh, set of friends. I'm still close with m- my high school friends. We live all over the country now and they all have turned out to be extremely successful, have you know great families. And I feel like having that support system certainly helped. And, you know, my father passed away. We still had race cars and stuff. And my brothers would take me to the races. It was like they were juggling life themselves and, and working and they would still find times to take me. So they, they helped me continue that. So again, it was just really having family and friends that were so supportive. And jumping back a little bit. So I grew up playing soccer and playing at quite a high level in the 90s. And there's a very sort of linear path from sort of club level as you sort of get up to, and I was lucky enough to play semi-professional as a, as, a, as a high schooler. But there was a very linear path, right? You start driving at six, racing at seven. What's the pathway to when you start thinking, oh, this could be a career or this is something I could earn a living from? Well, I think every race car driver's story is different. It's not like soccer or basketball where you start in a rec league and then you start travel team and then there's nothing really set like that. There's a million different directions to to get to the top. And if you interviewed every, even like NASCAR driver, which obviously there's some even involved in our school, they all come from a different story, a different route. So I think for me, when I had that moment of, maybe I'm going to make this my career, maybe I can do this, it, it was while I was in college, I got an opportunity to drive a sprint car, which was like a step, big step up from what I had been doing from a family friend, and it went really well. And I got noticed by the guy who's like the New York State champion for like seven years and ended up, long story short, he was like, if you can come up with some sponsorship, like I'll run you in a second car. And I was like, wait, what? So crazy story, but I ended up getting my college, Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, to sponsor me. It that was is a, cool. Yeah, it was one of my professors one day. He was like, hey, have you ever talked to the school about sponsorship? And I was like, no. And he said, I think you should. I think you should reach out to, I forget who the other two were, but one was the dean of admissions. So I reached out to them and you know, told them what I was doing. And the dean of admissions, she invited me to come and sit down and meet with her. So in my best uh, college clothes, and I made this whole marketing portfolio and went and sat with her. And I remember her asking me, well, how much money do you need to, to make next year happen? And I was like, I, didn't, I was like afraid to throw out a number. What if it was too high? She'd shoot me down. If it was too low, I couldn't make it. So I, I remember that moment and she was like, okay, all right, sounds good. And I walked back to my sorority house. And by the time I got back there, there was an email saying the school would sponsor me. Like it was that much of a quick decision for them. So that was like a key turning point. It having If I didn't have the funding from the school, I don't know if any of that would, you know, anything would have gone further. But it was around that time that there was starting to be a push for diversity. And the guy that I was driving for, I remember we were actually at a trade show in Indianapolis. And he was like, you can do this. Like, you have the talent. It's just a matter of how hard you're willing to work at it and how thick skin you have because it's going to be tough. And I like remember we were at the, like, the food court eating. But I, it was one of those moments that you're like, you know what? I want this. And I remember telling my mom, First of all, the school is sponsoring me, and she's like, wait a second, I'm paying tuition, and they're turning around and paying you, and they were paying for all my travel. She's like, something's wrong with this. And then I'm telling her, okay, when I graduate, I'm actually not going to get a real job. I'm going to go on the road racing. And she was like, wait a second, whoa, whoa, whoa. But I did have to promise her that I'd finish school, because this was about the beginning of my junior year, and I was racing a lot, and I was flying back and forth, and the school was helping me with that. But I can tell you, there were many times that I'd raced like four nights in a row and then go back to school and be like, oh my gosh, I have an exam. I have like some, you know, crazy calculus or whatever the courses were at the time. And I'd be like, the last thing I want to do is sit down and and study. But my mom was like, that's the deal. You need to finish school. So I'm thankful that there were many nights she let me cry to her and be like, I don't want to do this. I just want to race. So thankfully we made it through. And one of the reasons I wanted to speak with you is because I love speaking to people who are pioneers in their field, right? Being a woman in engineering is rare, right? Being a women race car driver is rare. And I've said this a number of times on this podcast. So I was raised by a strong mother, have a very strong sister, married a strong woman, have two daughters, right? And so I've just incredibly interested in helping young women sort of reach their potential because over time I realized that there was all these barriers that were put in their in their way. And many of the time it's invisible, sometimes to them, but even to people sort of around them. All of that to say, what gave you the confidence to really step into these fields where you were a pioneer and you had to sort of imagine push through all these different boundaries? Well, I think that it helped that I was a tomboy growing up. Okay. My mom still jokes to this day. I think I was like nine or 10 
playing on an all boys hockey team and I got voted captain. <laughs> and she's like, it was a kind of a joke. And I thought it was normal. Like yeah. I didn't, I, but again, I was such a tomboy that I fit right in with them. So I, I think that was part of it. Mm-hmm. I also think that my parents were a huge part of it. My, my dad certainly didn't say you can't drive a race car because you're a girl. He never, ever said I couldn't do something because of my gender. And my mom is a strong personality. She had a college degree and was a teacher and she was a stay at home mom most of her life. But like she gave us her all. And I think looking back on her life, if there were opportunities like they were when I was growing up or even like today, I think she would have done a lot more because at the time, you know, she talks about going to school, college, it was like you either had to be a teacher, a nurse, there was not a lot of options, but she's a very strong personality. So I think all of those factors led me to think I can do it. And then I had brothers that were supportive. And then as I started climbing the ladder and racing a little bit, I found it a challenge and it lit my fire. Like, you think I'm a girl? I can't beat you? Of course, there were some things and some comments along through my career that actually hurt and I had to pretend they didn't, but there was a lot of it that motivated me. I remember going to a racetrack in in New York, and this wasn't long after my dad passed away. My brothers took me, and it's like a half-mile track. The cars that were driving are probably not the safest things to be driving on a half-mile track, but they're fast. They're really fast. And some guys came up to my brothers before, who they knew, and they were like, we're considering not running tonight if your sister's going to, like, we don't we don't think this is safe that she's running. And my brother's like, she's fine. She, she's good. Like, we wouldn't put her in this position if we didn't think she could do it. And I ran second that night. And it was like, what I'll never forget, like, looking over at that guy like, Hey, hey, where'd you finish? In the back somewhere? So all of those honestly were motivating. There's many times in my career that people will be like, oh, well, if she's going to race, we're really worried. We're going to have a lot of wrecks. And I think it was very motivating for me. And I don't know where that confidence came from. Maybe it was because of that that core group of support I had growing up. And I think that's huge. And that's huge in, in any industry, in any career path, any sport is having the people that your leaders that really believe in you. And not every person or not every young girl has family that is so supportive. They're just like, yeah, there, there aren't limitations because of your gender. And I'm sure, you know, you've spoken to many women over time or young girls over time about sort of your journey. How do you sort of coach people who haven't necessarily have that support, right? So they might still have that voice, whomever it is in the back of their mind saying, no, you can't do this, you can't do that. How do you help people overcome those limiting beliefs? I mean, I think that's a a million dollar question in our world right now. And I wish that even in racing, I was seeing there's been a change in, in women and how many are in the industry and how many have come along, but it hasn't changed as much as I'd like in the time I've been around. But I think the the number one thing to do is to to be inspirational, is to do it, for girls to see it, and then to take the time to, throughout my career, I can't tell you how many schools I went and spoke with or, you know, through different sponsors, went in girls clubs, and, and just to try to let them know. And I remember going to a career day one time, and I wore my fire suit and, you know, the whole deal just so they can see it. Because if they're not finding that out from home or someone's telling them they can't do something, if they see it right before their eyes, there's, to me, there's no better inspiration. Thinking about your journey, right, we have people listening who just know a ton about motorsports and then you have other people who don't know anything and so what's been cool about living in Charlotte is just learning a lot and I've sort of got to know some other people in the industry quite well and they've been very patient with me asking a ton of like really stupid novice questions and so if you talk about your journey so you start in go-karts and they were called I've got a quarter midgets and then can you just describe the t- like the type of car you drove and what are they? So then you went to sprint cars. So you described that. Then I drove that. Uh, mini sprints, which okay. are micro sprints. There's different names for them, but uh, that was on dirt. And and you describe what a sprint car is. Okay, a sprint car is a car that weighs about a thousand pounds. Well, actually, now they weigh about fourteen hundred pounds. It's got a 950 horsepower engine in it now, probably not as much when I was racing. To me, they're the coolest race cars there are out there. And some of the top NASCAR drivers, some that we might even see around here, really love that form of motorsports because it hasn't changed much throughout the years where, you know, NASCAR and IndyCar have changed so much and the the model of the funding coming from sponsorship. And it, they just have there's just so many rules and it's such a huge commercialized sport where sprint car racing, it's, it's now growing pretty fast, but it's still pretty raw. The races are 30, 40 laps. It's your practice is like four or five laps. That's your, all your practice. And you go out and do your time trial laps, which are two laps. And then you're, you're like, it's all happens. Bang, bang, bang. And a stock car race can be 500 laps or 500 miles and it takes hours. This is, this can be over in a 
few minutes, really. So it's just a neat form of racing, and it's kind of considered one of the grittiest and, and toughest because of, A, the horsepower to weight ratio, but also it's not flying back and forth on planes and, and having somewhere that you can you call home, really. I mean, when I raced the World of Outlaws, which was now 18 years ago, it makes me feel old, but I ran 102 races, and I pretty much lived on the road. I, I lived in a truck and trailer and interesting hotels and truck stops and but you did what you had to do because it was it was the lifestyle and it was it was fun and then after sprint cars what was the next step then i got an opportunity to race a little bit in nascar so i moved down here in 2004 and started driving for his now my husband he had a race team at the time and i drove an arca series which is now stock car so this was a big switch for me because i had never really raced much on pavement except for my quarter midget experience so I raced ARCA, had some success there. I think I had five second place finishes in, in a year and a half, and then ran a full season in the NASCAR Truck Series, ran a little bit in what is now the Xfinity Series, and then I started dating my car owner, which is not exactly ideal for a woman in your career. I always tell people, Ray and I are open about it. I remember like us having a sit down about it, and it's like, you know what? I would love to have a million trophies, but more important to me is is to have a family someday. And I can't guarantee that someone else, you're, if I pass up this opportunity and I fall in love with someone, it was a tough decision to make at that point in my career. Ended up racing sprint cars again. We went back. I went back and raced sprint cars for a few years. We ended up owning our own team and really kind of got away from it because we talked about having a family. We had all these other projects going on. And to be a racer and to be successful really at anything, you have to be all in. And we couldn't be, especially living in Charlotte and sprint cars race three or four days a week. So to be a part-time racer, that to me isn't fun. Like I, that's my personality and really, and and everything is if I'm going to do it, like I'm, I'm in, if not, I don't know how to like part-time and like be okay, just running. Okay. Just a little bit of my competitiveness, I guess. Thanks for being so open and yeah, honest. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it, life, right? Talk about that sort of sliding doors moment, right? We all experience that where you have a decision that you will make that will close one door and open another. And they're very difficult. We all experience them. And sometimes you're, it seems like you were very aware that that was happening. And other times they're happening. It's only on retrospect. I think retrospect. that I wasn't aware of how much it was going to close. But, you know, I made that decision. And I, there were times that it was hard. There was times that I'm like, hey, I'm still a race car driver. I still am talented. I, I made it this far all on my own. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, looking back, my husband and I, we've been married for almost 13 years. We've got our daughter, Kate, obviously here at the school. And life life is really good. And I, I wouldn't trade that to have a room full of trophies and maybe still be single. And an interesting thing about being a woman, especially in a career like that, where you can't necessarily just easily have children and still drive race car, a lot of well, probably four or five women that I still keep in touch with, look up to in the sport had kind of said to me at some point along the way, like, don't forget about that because, you know, there is a biological window and they had all passed it up. And now they're in their fifties and sixties and they're thinking, man, in retrospect, I probably should have tried to set my career aside, not be so driven and miss the chance to have a family. So it's kind of always in the back of my head. And I always knew I wanted a family. I think growing up in that environment that I had, that was so great. I just really knew. And obviously that's not necessarily something you can just have happen. And, and there's a little bit of, you have to have faith and whatever to have a child. It's not like it just comes naturally to everybody. But I think that I knew in my mind, I wanted a family and it was ultimately more important. So I don't regret any of those decisions. Do I look back at my career and think I probably could have won some more races and I probably could have done some bigger things? Yeah. But you know what? I think even the most successful look back at their career and say that. They're still championships they could have won. So I am very content in life and where things are at. What did you learn through that experience of just having to make such a hard decision that would propel your life in one direction rather than the other? What advice would you give someone sort of in that situation? I think really is to trust your instincts. I I feel like instincts are and what your gut tells you. I feel like a lot of my life, I've really just relied on what my my gut is, for lack of better term, like what my body is telling me. But I also think leaning on people who are really close and supportive. Like, yeah, you might be getting opinions from people everywhere, but to to take those opinions and, and keep those people who are close to you and supportive to you their thoughts and their opinions and their support. I feel like that's the biggest piece is to make, whether that's making a decision or facing a a difficult obstacle is to keep the people close to you. And and really it's so much easier said than done, but try to tune out the the peripheral, the the extra stuff. And luckily all this happened before social media. (laughs) 
One of the reasons I asked you, because I've been through that, those decisions in my life and a few occasions I've been very conscious of it. So my wife is American and we met in Australia, lived there for 10 years together. And then we moved in 2008 back to the States to be near her family. And I remember we walked, we said goodbye to my family. My nephews are very small, were very small at the time. Now they're not, like this 14 years ago. And then we waved goodbye. We sort of turned the corner as you're about to go through customs. And I stopped my wife, Chris, and said, our life is about to change forever. Like we have just stepped on the path and now I'm speaking to Aaron, you know, 14 years later in, I'm living in Charlotte. Like none of that was for, you know, there was just, and it's just, and it's hard, right? Like it's very easy to stay within what is comfortable. And so it's, I'm always fascinated when by people's decisions, right? Like when you, when you have those, really those crossroads. I think like in that moment for you and, and throughout my career, I feel like I've always kind of embraced change a little bit where there, there's a lot of people that don't like to. I Friends, family of mine that were like, you know, to move would be like the end of the world where I've always, I, I don't know if it's the adventurous side of me, but I'm, I'm always up for, hey, let's take a last minute trip. Like I'm always, I can be pretty spontaneous. So I think that also helped in those decisions. It's like, well, try it. You can always go back. Let's just try it. So I think having that spontaneity and that, that willing to be uh, okay outside your comfort zone. So you also competed in Australia. So what took you down under? Well, I got to go twice, sprint car racing. So sprint car racing is very popular in Australia. And obviously your winter is our summer and our summer is your winter. So right now with COVID, it's been a little tricky, but it's always been very common for, especially 15, 20 years ago, really popular for American sprint car drivers to get asked to drive for someone in Australia. So I kind of had like a breakout season in sprint cars and an opportunity came about to go race there. And I was like, sure, let's go. I know I was just out of college and here's a plane ticket. Here's a car you're going to drive. And these people are great. And looking back, I'm like, man, I don't know if I could really do that now at 40. But at 21, it didn't even seem like a, a big or 22, whatever I was at the time, a big deal at all. So yeah, I flew to Australia by myself. And I'm thinking, wow, my mom was also really cool. Like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm not ready to send my daughter across. So yeah, I flew and I landed on Christmas Eve, I'll never forget and met these people that I had never met before I was going to drive for them. And I couldn't even get like McDonald's because even yeah, I was closed on Christmas Eve and spent Christmas Eve and Christmas morning with this family I was going to stay with who ended up being uh, wonderful people and I still keep in touch with them. And they had some gifts for me on Christmas morning, but I'm like, I don't really don't think I can do that now. But it was, it was, a, it ended up being an awesome experience. I lived there for six weeks the first time, raced all over South Australia and Victoria, up into like raced up a bit in Sydney and Brisbane, and then I went back the next year. But that was much shorter. It was just for like a week and a half. I raced just outside of Sydney. I had a great experience. I loved going to Australia and. Still get to see a lot of the Australian fans because they'll come over here in the summer to watch some of the big sprint car races here. So You can tell if an American has been to Australia because they say Brisbane, as you did, well done. They say Canberra and Melbourne, right? So it's not Melbourne, it's Melbourne, B-E-N, Melbourne, Mel, M-E-L-B-E-N, Melbourne and not Brisbane, Brisbane. So it, normally I can tell if people have been to Australia, one, how they pronounce capital cities. And the other one is if they say where are you from in Australia, right? Because, and I think when we first met, you asked that too. And then what was really cool is when I grew up, my dad, he was in the horse racing game growing up. But then, so I went to Parramatta Speedway. Yeah, and that's where I raced yes, outside of Sydney. Yeah. yeah, so I used to, I went there like probably a handful of times as a kid. And so, so you arrive and then how do you get the car set up? How, how does that all happen? Uh, well, there was somebody that, you know, owned the car I was going to drive for. I think I brought a seat with me because in sprint car racing, in any form of motorsports, your seat is pretty much like to your shape and size. So I think I, I brought my seat over with me and you kind of just go with the flow. And honestly, I was driving for a new team and I didn't really know that going into it. And we struggled a bit. We didn't have like, you know, they didn't have much funding. So we were using some used tires and it was kind of what was a little touch and go there for a while. And then some fellow Americans started helping. And the last race that I ran there was the Warnable Classic, which is like their biggest race and ended up being the first female to ever make the race. I think I'm still the only to this day. And it was this whole controversy because a fellow American tried, like took me out on the last lap of the last chance race, like the B main. And they in Australia, which is different than the U S they would make a call. Like they black flagged him. They disqualified him because they thought that move was 
dirty or whatever. And he didn't want to get off the track and he was mad. So there's this huge controversy where literally like 15,000 people were chanting my name and they end up going the way they score a race is they go back to the last completed lap to see where cars had finished. Well, I still was a leader of the lap before. So they were like, well, you're, you made the race, you're in it. But I didn't have a car. My car was junked. I'd been in the fence. So a neighboring guy offered his car just so I could at least start the race. But it ended up being a really, really fun, cool experience that Australians still talk about to this day that I, you know, this big controversy and all these people are chanting my name and all in all, it was a wonderful experience. What's that like being that young? And also, you know, you're in a male dominated sport and you're sort of a young person from another country, like competing in cities you've never heard of. And then suddenly you have sort of like a controversy like that. How do you sort of keep a level head? I don't know. I was young and didn't know better at the time, I guess. And again, there was a lot of fellow Americans that I did know fairly well that were helpful and actually their wives. There was two of the drivers that I raced with from the U.S. were down there and their wives were good friends and they were very involved in the sprint car world. And as soon as it happened, they were like, Aaron, you belong in that race and and helpful. So again, I think like I've guessed the whole time I've talked about is like that support system, even when you're in a different country and you don't have your family or close friends, it was still a group of people that I knew that believed in me that, that helped. And Yeah, I think I was good that I didn't really know better then. You know, it was just kind of what I was experiencing at the time. And yeah, there were certainly times where I I was homesick there. I was like, what am I doing? I'm across the world by myself and it's not going well. And it's probably a few tears shed. But I guess uh, there's just that part of me that's so competitive and and perseveres. And I think that was that's kind of always been one of my strengths is I can be so competitive that I'll I'll fight through it. There was another question I was going to ask, going back to something you said earlier about sort of growing up and being competitive. That's not always revered in young women, right? I grew up with a sister who was super competitive. So I, it was just like what I thought was was normal. But I've spoken to other friends over time. They're like, yeah, I had to sort of pull that back a little bit in my family. It was sort of seen as, as not okay. What's that been like as a woman? And you're in a sort of a very, like you run people off the road, like it's an aggressive, I mean, I don't know if that's the right term, <laughs> well, sometimes, but competitive yeah. sport, yeah. right? Very, and there's a lot at stake, meaning that not just the winning or losing, but you can get seriously injured if things go wrong. How did you, I guess, learn to channel your sort of competitiveness and aggression and and things into... Uh, into into success. I did wreck a little bit. I was probably honestly going back a little bit to my childhood where I knew I had to prove to my dad that I was going to be aggressive. I feel like there was a part of me that always knew I had to be aggressive to prove that I was good enough to do it. But also as I got older, I, I one of the things that kind of tamed that aggressiveness was knowing that if I spin out or a wreck, oh, that's the girl. Where a, a guy coming up, it's just, you know, oh, so-and-so wrecked. But if it's me that does it, it's immediately, oh, she's just a woman racer. So I learned to kind of be a little bit more methodical about like how I would get up to speed and, and just like not just go crazy because I knew that there was also a stigma that came along if I wrecked a few cars. It wasn't just, oh, so-and-so's learning. It's, oh, she's a woman driver. You mentioned that racing can lead to accidents and wrecking Talk me through some major crashes you've had and just like, I can't imagine just having your body just flipped and that sort of speed and and with that sort of metal around you. What are those moments like? Uh, You're just hoping for it to be over. Okay. Yeah, I've I've had a few knock on wood. I mean, I guess I don't race anymore, so I don't have to knock on wood, but luckily I was never really injured. I've broken some ribs and separated a shoulder. Like It sounds like really injured to me. Well, yeah, yeah, no, not compared to, unfortunately, the sprint car racing to this day is still uh, probably one of the more dangerous forms of motorsports. I think when you a wreck happens, obviously you never think you're going to wreck because if you did, you would never do it. But you know it's bound to happen at some point. So some of the wrecks I think about, like in a sprint car, oftentimes you're flipping. You, you honestly are waiting. You're like hoping for it to be over. And you, I'm always used to think nobody else hit me because that's usually when the injury would happen is not necessarily from your car flipping, but from someone else coming along full speed and hitting you in a spot that's vulnerable. So those used to be my thoughts. I don't know. I've wrecked a few. I felt a little bit safer in a stock car because there's more around you, more body and whatever, but broke a few ribs at a race in Dover. So I don't know. Just try not to think about that part. And as it's happening, it honestly happens so fast. And then after it happens, you're like, all right, can I feel my fingers, my toes? Am I good? Everything feel all right?
So what are some of the challenges women face when trying to break into motorsport? I think motorsports in general is hard because it's different than other sports. It's a sport that not only do you have to have like a team, but you need to have equipment and you need to have funding. So sponsorship is is really, honestly, at this point in, in motorsports, the key thing. So finding sponsorship is so hard for a male or a female and not just as far as funding, but I think people wise racing is you really have to have the group of people that work on your car truly believe that you can do it because there's so many parts and pieces. It's a, it's a car that they're building, they're working on, they're changing the setups. And if they don't really believe that you can do it, they won't put the effort in. People are really important. Being surrounded by a team, a crew chief, the guys that actually, and girls that actually work on your car, truly believing that you can do it. I think that's a really key ingredient, obviously along with funding and opportunity. There's not a lot of opportunity. You have I don't even know statistics on how many thousands of kids race go-karts, girls and boys. I mean, I would guess it's probably in the hundreds, thousands, like, you know, there's racetracks all over the country, all over the world. And then you narrow it down, narrow it down. If you think about like comparing it to football, NFL, that's crazy hard to get to NFL, but there's still how many teams? When you get to NASCAR, there's only the same 40 people competing every single weekend. In your years of driving, has the sport of racing changed significantly for women or has it stayed pretty much the same over the last 19 years or so? Unfortunately, I don't think it's changed as much as we would like it to, but it has changed. There are definitely more women, maybe not necessarily driving at the top level because right now there's there's not a single female in the top level of NASCAR. There's one in IndyCar. So there's still not as far as driving, but I feel like in the industry, there are more women. There's more women engineers that work on cars. There's more women crew chiefs. There's more women involved. But it's something that I'm actually pretty passionate about. I'm involved in this. It's called Women in Motorsports North America with Lynn St. James, who is a former IndyCar driver, and another woman named Beth Peretta, who owns an IndyCar team. And we're, we're starting this whole network of women in motorsports to try to help. Yeah, it's something that we just kind of started about six months ago. And then, so there's more and more. Right now, there's a big thing that was just announced with, I think, Bush Light Beer is sponsoring all these women in NASCAR. So suddenly, and for some reason, thankfully, in the last, like, few weeks, there's been a bunch announced as far as helping women. Chip Ganassi, who's a big team owner in IndyCar and NASCAR, just announced a whole initiative for women. So it's happening. It's just maybe slower than, than we would all like. But... It's also, it's hard. You've got all these thousands and thousands of males that are trying to do it, and you still only have a small percentage of women. So to make it to the top for all of them, it's, it's incredibly hard. And then you, you got to have the talent. you got to have the whole package. And would you encourage Kate to pursue motorsports? I would. Right now, she has found a passion in ponies and horses, which uh, might be more dangerous and more expensive. But <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're totally supporting it. But yeah, you know what? Honestly, I'll support whatever she wants yeah. to do. I just want especially in this world we live in right now, for her to be happy and to have a successful life, whatever that is for her. I just want her to be happy. But um, if she ever said that she'd want to race, of course, my husband and I would be all about it. But there's part of me that doesn't want her to do it. I I, I know what I went through. And we've taken her out to a local racetrack and she was like, no, horses are my thing. And part of me was relieved because it's a whole new environment. There's a lot more women in yeah. ponies and horse jumping. It's like, oh, good, I don't have to. And everyone in the industry kind of knows my husband and I, and there's that added pressure for her where she just has her thing right now. And hopefully she continues with it because she is truly like she has the same probably competitiveness and passion like level that I think my husband and I both do. Like she found, got into horses and it is like we are we are in like immediately started asking when she could compete wanted to go to these shows. And I'm like, all right, you're six. Actually, she was five at the time. I'm like, how about we? So now we lease our own pony and we've been going to shows. And But it, it's been neat. And like racing was for me, it's providing her those memories with my husband and I, our family. And we take a motor home and we do the whole thing. And she's the youngest of the barn. And all the older girls are so good to her. So she, I'm hoping it's creating those memories that I have from when I was little, just in motorsports. Actually, I was looking at your Twitter profile in preparing for this and I saw a photo of her all dressed up in her gear and everything. That was so cool. And so I also was looking at the work that you've been doing with the Motor Racing Network. How long have you worked with them and what sort of content are you producing? So I started working with MRN, gosh, years ago. I would fill in occasionally, even on some of the NASCAR shows when people were going to be out. And then I started doing this show called Wing Nation, which is solely focuses on sprint cars. I watched an episode. It was cool. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. About six years ago, they asked if I could do it. And it was right after I had Kate and I was like trying to balance, like, All right, I'm going to be a pretty hands-on mom, but I need still to have a little something that's myself. So we've been doing it for the show's about 
10 years old, 11 years old, but I've been doing it about six or seven years. And it's fun. We do every Tuesday, I do a show and sometimes uh, then we do a podcast on Thursdays. And then we kind of rotate a TV show as well that's on Mav TV. Again, it's all sprint car related. And then we do live shows. So we go to some of the biggest sprint car races during the year and we'll set up a stage and have all the drivers come up. And that's been hugely successful. It's fun for me because these are people most of them that I've known for years, I've had a relationship with them and their families for 20 years. And then obviously start to get to know the newer kids as they come in and they make you feel really old when they tell you how young they are. But it's been fun because it's something, sprint car racing is something I'm passionate about. I still would watch even if I wasn't doing a show. So it's just a way to kind of keep connected to, to motorsports. And it's, like I said, it's something easy for me to talk about because I still really like it. And you seem to do it so naturally. I was, I was actually don't normally get nervous at all doing this, but I was watching the different videos you're doing and the, the, the production and you just seem so calm and relaxed. And I, I actually felt a little bit nervous right at the beginning of this. Well, thank you, because at first it wasn't like that. And there's still moments. There was a few weeks ago, the guy who usually Steve Post who hosts the show, like suddenly couldn't make it. And I had to do the whole show by myself. And I've done the show as the host before, but I've always had at least a co-host to like banter back and forth with, and there was no one. It was just me, and then I was going to interview two people. The interviews were easy because I, I do that, but the intro and uh, the intro was like, blah, blah, blah. I just rambled, and I was totally nervous. So trust me, I'm thankful that it looks like I know what I'm doing, but I really I have those moments too. What we're going to do now is switch to some rapid-fire questions. What is the book or books you most frequently recommend to others? I have to admit, I don't read as much as I'd like to anymore. I've read a lot of like the motivational books from different coaches, just the seven habits of highly successful people, uh, all those books. But I also read a lot of biographies and autobiographies. I really like that. And even to this day, if I have time, and it could be uh, whether it's an athlete or someone in the acting industry, like I, I love learning people's stories and yeah. reading their life. I guess summer beach cheesy reads or sometimes if, I, if I'm going to pick up a book. But yeah, I don't read as much. It's actually one of my goals right now to read more. I don't get to read as much as I would like. I do sort of in bed before I go to sleep, but then that's a couple of pages. But I'm an audiobook fanatic. And so I'll subscribe to Audible. And so then when I'm doing the chores I don't want to be doing, then like, you know, doing the whatever, like it just around the house. That's how I do most of my, my reading. Huh, and I have to try that. Well, it's just easy. I, yeah, it's easy. And so the next one is what are some things you love doing in your free time? I like working out. I'm into fitness. I like, to, you know, I really like to spend time and like make memories with family. I know that sounds kind of cliche, but it's something that to me is really important. Like is to really put the cell phone down and like even not work on school stuff, but like go on a hike or walk into town or just, I just really like to be around my family to the point where I drive my husband crazy. Cause I'm like, and I'm always up for an adventure, always up, whether it's to a theme park or a library or bowling, whatever it is, I'm always up for doing something. I just like to be with people and to, to do things. It's amazing just though how when you think about your life with someone, my wife and I have now been together 25 years and in April, it'll be our 20th anniversary. And if I could think of the perfect day, right, I'd just be spending the day with her, yeah. right? More recently, we were having to do some work to our house and we spent the day looking at flooring and it was like the best I've had forever just because we spent the time together. Yeah, and you start like laughing and joking yeah. and you're like, wow, it's kind of nice to be away from everything else. Yeah. If you could learn a new skill, what would it be and why? A new skill? Hmm. I don't know. Maybe... I don't know. You know, one thing I've talked about recently is learning to ride a horse because now I'm at the horse barn often. But my husband jokes because he's like, well, give it a year and then you'll want to compete and we'll have to have your own horse. And, <laughs> and I'm like, no, I feel years. like falling yeah. off a horse at 40 is not like falling off when you're six. So um, that's one thing I'd like to learn. And, I, I, you know, one thing I, I, and not even just because of this interview and feeling bad that I don't read enough, that's been something that I wanted to do was to, to get more into just reading. I feel like I, I'm missing that in my life. And I feel like that's how you can educate yourself as you're older. I catch myself watching Netflix and then I'm like, this is just pointless. I'm not learning anything. So I guess maybe riding horses and, and trying to continue on education and not just watching things that hurt my brain cells. I had like, a, when I think back of it and sort of ch share these stories, like a, a bit of an eclectic childhood, but my, geez, let me get this right. My mum's aunt they lived next to a trotting track and they had stables. And so as a kid, we would go there and a uh, place very Australian named Menangle. And we would go there and we would sort of ride horses. And so I, at about when I was a kid, I don't know what age it was, but every Sunday I went and had horse riding lessons for 
ages, right? And so I've ridden horses a handful of times, you know, as an adult, but it's just one of those skills that I have that I've done it so much. Like we would, we would go to the stables. We would, we would sort of brush down the horse. We would, you know, I just, and I'd walk into a stables. My daughter did it when she was about Kate's age, my 12 year old. And, and just when I went in the stables for the first time, the, the, the smell and everything just like the flooded back of the, the hay yeah. and the manure and just the, all the tack, right? I'm going to have to come for you to help because I knew nothing before. Yeah. So I've had to learn pretty quickly because at her barn, she's kind of responsible to do all this. Well, she's sick. She can't even really yeah. carry her own saddle right now. So I had to learn pretty quick a lot yeah. about it. So, but it's neat for me. Again, it's, it's learning something new. I think you'd love it and you can do it at whatever. <laughs> you'd have to probably rein in your competitiveness, but it's just, it's something so unique clearly about riding on the back of an animal, right? There's just... Which for me has been different to seek. So I'm used to a race car that's yeah. kind of predictable. Yes. Like it doesn't have good days and bad days where it's, you know, her ponies but just had some ulcers and we had yeah. some issues. I'm like, oh, this is a live animal. It's a live animal. And as much as you think they're trained, quote unquote, like it's yeah, sort of. And so in the last five years, what new belief, behavior or habit has most improved your life? I think one thing that it's kind of been my whole life, but something I've really tried to focus on, especially since having Kate, is to truly like be in the moment and like make memories. And again, it probably goes back to losing my father. And I also have a best friend who's still really fighting cancer. It's one of those things where you 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 try to find balance. You know, life is all about balance. You know, you want a career, but you really want a good family life and you want to raise your kids the best that you can and give them the best opportunities. So I think that's one thing I've really worked on is to, for years being a race car driver, you're pretty selfish. You're just career driven. It's all about you and, and making the next level. And then having, even getting married, suddenly that has to change a little bit because now you got you know, manage a family or a husband and, and your career. But then you add kids into the picture and it's like, you just really kind of have to take a, a step back. So finding that balance where, yeah, I can still do a radio show and still work on some projects, but I want to be present. I want to make memories with her. I want her to have the support in the childhood that I had. So I guess balance and, and being in the moment is truly something I, I try to work on. And of course, I'm guilty of sometimes being on my phone too much or whatever, but we really try to do things. Like I said, whether it's go to a park or it's watch a movie together at night just to, to make memories where you're not distracted. Because our world that we live in now, even compared to our childhood, it's so much different. There's so many pressures and so many distractions. And you hear about so many kids fighting anxiety and different things. It's like, how do we alleviate that and just be in the moment and like not worry about all the other pressures? Even at six, I feel like it's already starting. Yeah. And it's hard. It's hard, right? I'm in that stage of my career. So this is only my second year being ahead of school and you want to, I want to do a great job. And so the amount of time that takes and clearly COVID hasn't been easy and there's sort of a lot of... Yeah. You like, jumped in at the yeah, tough geez. time. <laughs> I'd actually, I moved to the US just before the stock market crash of 08 too. So my, it's sort of like, wait for our, like, the more family to move and yeah. just like- All right, let us know. Yeah. Send a notification Yeah, out. something's going to go badly. And I often feel guilt, right? I, I at least work six days a week, right? And then, and long hours. And so something I try to focus on is that it's the quality of time that I'm spending with my girls is like, what what is it? And even as small moments, right, is- my wife generally drives my five-year-old to work, but my elder daughter, Ruby, who's in sixth grade, I'll drive, I'll take her in the morning, right? So I get to work a little bit later than I want, but, but just those 10, 15 minutes in, like, and she's went through a phase where she's learning French, but she was, like, we were listening to French music every morning. And it's just that those, try to capture that 10 or 15 minutes just driving in the morning. And, and where you're like truly engaged. Yeah. yeah. And that's just, it's just our time. And even the least came with us this morning, we're driving past and recording this in sort of mid-March and the flowers were changing and we were like all just geeking out on that. Oh, look, how pretty is that? And it was just, they're the things I hope that they remember, even though I'm not there sort of anywhere near as much as my wife is. Two more questions. What advice would you give someone wanting to pursue a career similar to yours? To just honestly go for it. Like anything in life, it's going to take hard work. It's going to take obstacles you're going to have to overcome. But to me, there's there's nothing that you can't accomplish if you really want it, really, in, in life in general. And that's what someone had told me when I was in, in college. Like, look, you can, you can do this. It's just a matter of how hard you want to work. And sometimes you, you do have to sacrifice things. But to me, it's just to really go for it and focus on it and, and try to be put yourself around the right people and, and make sure. You know, one thing I noticed growing up racing and really in life is if you go to someone who you think is doing really well at the, at the time and asking them for advice, if you truly show them that you want to do it, they're often really willing to help you. hundred percent. If you yeah. go and like haphazardly just say, Hey, will you help me? That's not going to get their attention. But if you go and say, Hey, can I help sweep the floors? And I really want to do this. And you show that 
they're usually very willing to help someone when they see that drive. I mean, that's a great point. Like even I'm a leadership junkie. And so early in my career was in San Francisco, the, um, we had all these incredible sort of tech leaders and leaders of other major companies and the kids went to our school and, and I was really wanting to improve as a leader. And a, a handful of times I said, some of the most like really recognized people, do you have time to go for, like I'd take you to lunch and speak with you. And they're like, let me take you to lunch. But I would just sit there with like a ton of questions and the amount of advice I got, but it was honestly surprising. And when they can genuinely see you wanted to learn, they're usually willing to help and to give you the good stuff. Yeah. And one of the things that's actually cool about my job, it's built in now. So I have a board chair and my last two board chairs, incredible women, right? And so last year it was Renee and this year it's Holly. And so basically I have, I meet with them once a week, but just have these coaching sessions for these amazing leaders. And I just go with my list of questions. And so now it's sort of replaced and I, I sort of joke, I'm like, how much am I charging you for the hour? By the hour, it's like nothing, you know, but it's just, it's, they're so great. I'm very lucky. The last question I have is what inspires you? Huh, what inspires me? I think seeing my child happy, seeing her accomplishing things makes me happy. Seeing my husband accomplishing things he wants to and my stepson and, and all of my family, like really my life is based around family and, and, and friends too and, and making memories and, and making the most out of life. Uh, like I said at the beginning of this interview, we were talking about my father. I feel like that's really the one thing I got out of uh, unfortunately losing him so young was like, and one of my dad's quotes was, this isn't a dress rehearsal. Like this is, this is it. So I try every day to push aside the 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 little worries that are you know oh I haven't done this I haven't done that you know all the pressures that we every of all of us feel every day and really try to enjoy moments and and laugh and and like you said you talked about looking at the flowers with your daughter like taking in those moments and and truly being present so overall it's family you know my, my dad did inspire me he started his own construction business when he was young and my brothers still run it to this day and my brothers inspire me they they've taken what my dad started and and they've run with it and done really well and my sisters there's just so many people that inspire me with the things that they they do and it could be just because they're a good parent or because they're a good friend. My friend that is fighting cancer, she inspires me every day. She's the strongest person I, I know. You know, she was diagnosed seven years ago with ovarian oh, geez, cancer sorry. and she's had like four recurrences and she's just the strongest. Like she, not only has she gone through a gazillion chemo treatments and, and surgeries, but she has the best attitude. And like, there's nothing more inspiring to me than that. Whatever troubles we feel like we're having are nothing compared to that. So I, I think it's the, the people who are around me are what inspire me. Aaron, this has been a ton of fun. I've really <laughs> loved it. Sorry if I ramble a little no, bit. No, it was great. get going. No, it, it, this has been really great. And genuinely, you talk about being present, like you really felt that today, you know, you, and I appreciate you how sort of open and honest you've been. It's been, we're very thankful that you joined our school and your generosity and we love your daughter and, and, and Ray, and we're just so glad you're here. So thank you so much for all your time today. I deeply appreciate it. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And, and anytime you need any help from us, we're happy to do it. Thank you. You've been listening to the Davidson Day School Community Podcast, which is hosted by Pete Moore, head of school at Davidson Day. The podcast is recorded on campus in the heart of the Lake Norman area. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear them. Email your thoughts to podcasts at davidsonday.org. That's podcasts at davidsonday.org.